Hi, this is Walter Montero, and you're listening to this week's edition of the Real Estate and Mortgage Show. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Walter Montero from Coldwell Banker Maximum Results. And this week on Interview with the Experts, we are going to speak to Nino Gagliardi from Clark Pollard Gagliardi and Zavikas in Waterloo. Um, Nino is a chartered accountant with the firm. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. Uh, so let's get right to the topic at hand. And, you know, we got a few questions with regards to obviously real estate, which is what most of our listeners are uh, are interested in. Uh, let's start right off with uh, tax advantages. Are, is there actually any tax advantages to being a homeowner? Well, uh, there are. The primary advantage of owning a home as opposed to renting a home is the principal residence exemption. So the principal residence exemption allows you to sell your home at a profit and not have to pay any income tax on that. So, for example, uh, let's say you buy a house for $200,000 today and you sell it 10 years from now for $350,000, that $150,000 gain is tax-free. When you compare this to other capital gains, uh, that attract personal tax of up to 23%, the tax savings are substantial. Now, if you own a house and you own a cottage, you can also elect, although you can only elect one property to be, to be your principal residence, you can also elect your cottage, if that appreciates at a higher value than your house, to be your principal residence and shelter that from, from any taxes. So that's one advantage. Um, another advantage would be if, for example, you own a home and you want to rent a portion of your home uh, and claim a percentage of your household expenses against your rental income. So it, let's say you have um, you want to rent out your basement, for example, and the area in your basement represents one-third of your home, then you will be able to write off one-third of your household expenses, such as mortgage interest, property taxes, utilities, uh, repairs, and maintenance. So that, that could be a substantial advantage as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. So, uh, you know, when, when we take a look at, uh, you know, for our, our American counterparts, they're able to uh, deduct their, uh, their mortgage interest on their, on their principal residence. Obviously, right. obviously something that, that we're not able to do up here in Canada. But is there any way that I can, you know, of course, aside from the fact of having perhaps a tenant in, in the house, but is there any other way that I can, you know, perhaps make the mortgage on our property, on our personal rec- residence tax deductible? Uh, you can. And as your house increases in value, so you buy a house uh, 10 years ago, hopefully that's increased in value. Um, but as that house increases in value and as you pay down your mortgage, you're going to be creating equity in your home. And with that equity, you can borrow on your home through, uh, say, a line of credit or a mortgage. And as long as that's earned for investment, uh, that mortgage or line of credit is incurred for investment purposes, then you can write off the interest on that, um, on that financing cost. The, the important point to remember is that the loan proceeds has to be used for investment purposes. So uh, a lot of people sometimes will say, well, you know, I want a, uh, a car and I've got some equity in my home. Can I write that off? Well, no, that has to be used for investment, and investment would include in, uh, investing in the market, buying bonds, uh, investing in your business, or, or buying a rental property. So uh, just to give you an example, if you own a house that's worth 300000 and you have a mortgage that's $120,000 on that house. So you, you've got equity on $180,000 that you can borrow on. If you take $100,000 
on a line of credit or on a mortgage, you buy a rental property, which generates investment income, then the interest on that $100,000 that you're borrowing on your home is tax deductible. Very nice. The, the the important thing is it has to be used for investment or business purposes. Okay. Now, just to sort of clarify on that, if if I own if I already own an income property, okay, yeah. and and I've uh, you know I've obviously uh, you know whittled down the uh, the balance of the mortgage. If I remortgage an income property, so a property that I'm not living in, and I don't, if I go out and say buy a boat with that with that money, because it's on a rental property. Am I able to deduct it, or is it because of the use that I that I'm not able to? Yeah, in this example, you would not be able to deduct it because again, a revenue agency will look at the the what the proceeds of the loan are used for. So it has to be the use that use has to be um, investment or business usage. If it's for personal recreational use, then unfortunately that's not tax deductible. Even if it's on an existing um, property or mortgage was deductible. In that case, what you'd have to do is you'd have to prorate the interest on a deductible and non-deductible basis for the portion that is is deemed to be personal in this example, the purchase of the boat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they never seem to have a sense of humor about that, do they? <laughs> Not much of one, anyway. <laughs> All right. Now, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about HST. Uh, I think most people are pretty clear on HST as far as it being applicable on new homes, okay? But uh, there's been a, a little bit of a change in, in the last little while, primarily with properties over 400000 and that sort of thing. Can you tell us right. a little bit about how the HST is actually charged on new homes then and how that works? Well, the HST, um, the HST is the harmonized sales tax, and it's composed of two uh, two components. The first is the five percent, the old five percent GST, and the old eight percent PST for a combined HST rate of thirteen percent. So, if you buy a house, for example, um, a new house, uh, and there, and you buy that house uh, for three hundred thousand dollars. Now you're going to, have to pay 13% uh, HST on that, mm-hmm. so that would bring you to a price of 339. That's the bad news. The good news is that the federal and provincial governments allow rebates on the individual GST and PST components. So the government allows you a rebate of 36% of the GST component and 75% of the PST component. In other words, as a new home buyer, you will be eligible for a rebate of 1.8% of the 5% GST and a rebate of 6% of the PST. So you'll be receiving approximately a rebate of 7.8% of the 13% you pay. Now, as you mentioned, Walter, once you get to $400,000, it becomes a little bit of an issue because the government starts to claw back the GST component of the rebate. So the GST component is gradually clawed back um, up to a maximum of $450,000. So the PST component... Um, if you buy a house that's four hundred thousand dollars, you're eligible for seventy five a rebate of seventy five percent of the eight percent PST, mm-hmm. which works out to uh, to twenty grand. You're still going to get that twenty four thousand dollar maximum with the PST. Unfortunately, with the PST, the government does claw back um, the GST rebate, and once you hit four hundred fifty thousand dollars, there's not much of a rebate there at all. I see. I see. Okay. Now, one other thing, it's not a lot of people just think that you have to pay. You're eligible for a rebate on um, on new residential construction. If you do a substantial renovation to your existing house, mm. um, there also is a rebate there that you qualify, and the same provisions apply as if to uh, they apply to a new home 
purchase. So the important thing is that it has to be a substantial renovation. So you can't just, you know, put in a new bathroom or a new kitchen. It has to be a renovation to substantial portion of your home, such as an addition or a renovation that will represent greater than 50% of your home, for example. I see. So it basically, if the if if the if the the bill at the end of the day was 50% or greater than the total value of the property, then then it's applicable, is what you're saying. It, it doesn't. Uh, they typically don't look at the the cost. They would typically look at um, what you're doing as far as the of the percentage of the square footage of the home. So, for example, if your home is 2,000 square feet and you're adding another thousand square feet, you're putting an addition on, and that would qualify. Mm-hmm. If you're doing, uh, let's say, your home is 2,000 square feet and you're renovating substantially more than 50% or more than a thousand square feet, then Canada Revenue Agency would look at that as well. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's 50% yeah. of the actual space, not the actual dollar amount in terms of Correct. what I've spent. Okay. Correct. I got it. Okay. Now, what about new builds? Uh, you know, a lot of times, in fact, right now, I've got a, a condominium project that I have listed, and some people are shying away from buying them as an investment because they're concerned about not getting the, the HST rebate because that typically applies to um, owner-occupieds. Or is that the case? Can I Am I entitled to any of those rebates as a, if I buy one of these properties as an investment and they've never been lived in before? Yeah, the same the same rebates apply to new residential rental property. The the uh, emphasis is on new and residential. So if you buy a rental property uh, that's a residential property and you rent that out, then you would be eligible for the exact same investments or the the exact same rebates. Okay. Um, commercial properties are are treated differently under HST. So um, as far as new residential rental goes, you will be eligible for the same rebates. Okay. Yeah. Because in the in the actual agreements, most of these builder agreements they have a provision in the agreement that actually says that you know I. I'm, you know, declaring that I'm actually going to be living in the property as my principal residence in order yeah. for them to get the rebate back. Is is the actual logistics of getting the rebate back a little different then? The, the logistics can be different. My experience has been typically uh, builders, uh, w- if you're buying a new house, typically your builder will take your rebate and reduce your purchase price on a new, uh, if you're buying a new house for yourself, for example, for owner-occupied. My experience has been with new residential rental property that the the, uh, purchasers of the property will submit their rebate to Canada Revenue Agency, and they have two years from the date of occupancy to make that claim. So you've got a bit of time there. Okay. Excellent. Okay. The calculations, however, are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. Okay. That's good to know. So uh, one thing that comes up quite a bit, uh, certainly through my experience in the business, uh, when you have investors looking for investment property, some of them will ask you, you know, hey, should I should I incorporate? Should I buy this in a, you know, under a numbered company or should I buy, you know, or should I invest in in property personally? Is there any advantage or disadvantage in terms of of taking ownership of the property in an incorporation or uh, or personally? Well, there's this misconception that holding investments or rental property in the corporation is better from a tax planning perspective. However, this is not tonight. I think the misconception comes from the fact that uh, the corporations that earn business income typically pay tax at 15%. What people do not realize is that investment corporations pay tax at 46%. Mm. Income that you derive from a rental property is deemed to be investment income, so you would be actually be paying t- 
at the higher rate in the corporation. So I think people get confused that the by putting their investment property in a the corporation, they're going to get the 15% tax rate. That's not the case oh, because boy. you can be paying the higher rate personally. Uh, the higher rate of corporation, the highest personal rate is 46%. So there's really no tax advantage of holding them in a corporation. The primary advantage of holding rental property, in my opinion, in a corporation is the limited liability. Because the corporation is a separate legal entity, it has limited liability. So if, for example, you've got a slip and fall on property or there's a fire and there's a liability claim that's in excess of your liability coverage for that property, then if you own the property corporation, they can't come after your personal assets. If you do own the property personally and there's a liability claim, then you're 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 personally liable, and they can come after all your assets. Okay, so that liability claim. So obviously, more of a liability issue more than a tax issue then. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, and I also get the question quite frequently. Um, as a matter of fact, I just got this the other day. I had some people call and say, I've got four rental properties in my personal name, and we want to put that into a corporation because we want to pay the 15% tax. Oh. Um, so I explained to them, well, you know what? You're going to have to pay a higher rate of tax in the corporation than currently they were paying personally. The other thing is that when you're transferring a property from your personal name to a corporate name, you've got a change of ownership, and you've got land transfer tax mm. issues there that are that can be quite punitive as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they can be quite substantial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. I think we've covered pretty much the the real estate side of things. Being the you know the time of year where you know we're uh, getting close to the uh, deadline on RSP uh, contributions. What's what's your opinion? RSPs or TFSAs? What's uh, what's your take? Uh, I think it really depends on the tax bracket that the individual is in. I, I personally like RSPs. I mean, the theory of an RSP, I think everybody knows, is you put the money in when you're working and in higher tax brackets and theoretically draw it down when you're retired in a lower tax bracket. So I typically say if you're in the higher tax brackets, in other words, if your income is greater than $42,000, that it makes a lot of sense to make RSP contributions. Um, and I also recommend... Um, the the tax-free savings accounts as well. I, I guess it depends what you want to put in the tax-free savings accounts. If if I had a choice between RSPs and tax-free savings accounts, I, I guess it depends on a number of factors. One would be what tax bracket you're in. Another one would be how close to retirement age you are and what tax bracket you're going to be at retirement age mm-hmm. um, and, and what kind of investments you'd like to own in uh, in your either RSP or tax-free savings account. If you're, if you're the type of person that likes to own uh, equity investments, then a tax-free savings account um, makes a lot of sense. Um, if you like more conservative investments, um, RSPs make make a lot of sense there as well. So I always, what I do personally is I tend to maximize my RSPs and my TFSA savings uh, contributions. Now, tax-free savings account is not a tax-deductible amount, so if you're more primarily concerned with saving tax, then the RSP is the better way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, um, with a with a TFSA, they they um, they obviously accumulate or or grow uh, sheltered from tax, though, do they not? They anything you earn in that TFSA is tax free. Is tax the free? Wow. Okay. That's right, and the annual contribution limit is five thousand dollars. So you can put five grand into your into your tax free savings account each year, and if you haven't made contributions, then you can go back to day one, so you'd be able to put in uh, in 2012, if you haven't make any, made any contributions, you'd be able to put in $20,000. So oh, oh, um, the RSP, typically depending on what you've earned over the years, your RSP contribution limit is 
probably going to be higher. Um, and uh, like I say, the, the tax savings, depending on your tax bracket, could be higher there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Excellent. Well, great information, Nino. Um, how can uh, some? How can our listeners get a hold of you if they need you? Hey, if, they can, if they'd like to get a hold of me, they can call me at the office at 519-744-6120, extension 22, or check out our website at www.kwaccountants.ca. Awesome. Thank you again, Nino. It's my pleasure. Okay, great. And one other thing. Well, oh, shoot. Navicus with an N, not with a V. Oh. <laughs> N-A-V-I-C-K-A-N. Oh, geez, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Navicus, okay. You could, you could probably edit that out somehow. <laughs> no, we'll keep that right in. <laughs> no, that's perfect. You know what? It might just be easier for us to change the sign because it hasn't come yet. We'll just change it to the ticket. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. That's a good idea. All right. Okay. Okay, well, that's great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed that, and um, good luck with it, and I hope we get some exposure for you and, and we get some exposure in, in turn. Awesome. Thank okay, you very much, sir. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.